Welcome back to Content Therapy, guys. What is content therapy, you might be asking? Well, this is a podcast where myself, Will Evans, will be interviewing some interesting people each week. We're going to be talking about a whole range of topics, including sport, mental health, and we'll even throw in a bit of pop culture in there. So we've got you covered, but uh, if you're a politics person, maybe go somewhere else. But uh, thank you so much for joining me on this journey, and as always, keep it real. Welcome back to another episode of Content Therapy. Huge episode this week. I was lucky enough to sit down with four-time Premiership Hawthorne champion, Jared Ruffhead. Always love having a chat with Ruff. He's such a great guy. He's the sort of guy that you just can't help but root for. And I think that really comes through in this episode. We had a great chat about his journey on and off the field from his relationship with NBA star Joe Ingles, his Premiership success with Hawthorne and their epic rivalry with Geelong before briefly opening up about his battle with cancer, which was very good of him to do, considering that was obviously a very tough time in his life. Before we get into the interview, though, I've asked one of my good friends and biggest Hawks fan I know, Tommy Quinn, to put together some words that best describe Ruffy and just how much he means to the Hawks fans as a footballer, but more importantly, as a person. So, in the words of Quinny, no matter the age, no matter the team you support, Jared Ruffhead is one of those once-in-a-generation players that is idolised by all in the football world. Not only because he was able to maintain such a high level of output on the field for so long, but because of the person he is off the field too. The consistent left-footed launch from 50, followed by a single-fingered salute, was something football fans will never get sick of and a memory all Hawks fans will never forget. After spending some time with Ruff, it is no surprise the Hawks dynasty was able to produce so many impressive people along the way, with those people producing such special memories for so many. None more so than Jared. Among many things, Jared is a father, a husband, a role model, a Hawks champion, and an incredibly average golfer. Please enjoy this interview with Jared Ruffhead. Um, okay, welcome back to Content Therapy. I'm joined by a man who needs no introduction, uh, four-time Premiership player for Hawthorne, three-time club-leading goal kicker, two-time All-Australian, and, of course, the 2013 Common Medalist. More importantly than all that stuff, just all-round great bloke. I'm talking, of course, of Jared Ruffhead. How are you, Ruff? G'day, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Um, did you read that off Wikipedia? <laughs> well, it's a it's a fair, it's a fair CV, mate. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long list. Do you have to sort of recite it every now and then back to your mates in Lee and Gather? No, I definitely don't have to do that. It's more <laughs> it's more now being a dad to kids that didn't have a clue what dad used to do. Um, yeah, of course. That's yeah. that's going to be interesting in years to come. But there's enough enough footies and whatnot floating around. Um, Will, my little boy, he sleeps with um, the Ruffy doll occasionally. So. Oh, uh, nice. It's uh, it's it's one. It's scary, but yeah. two. It's like it's all right. He, he knows that dad was good at something when he was um, growing <laughs> up. Well, uh, we all remember, mate. I've uh, I got to tell you, I I had dinner with um with mum and dad the other day, and they're like, "So who who got on the pod next?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm interviewing Ruffy." And mum just, as you can imagine, just lit up and started banging on about how much she loves you. Should you should have seen dad's face? He just like he's like, "Fuck, here we go again." <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I tell you that your mother and I have this weird relationship that sometimes, and then uh, after naming my boy Will as well, I feel like that I'm like the the third son. 
that uh, <laughs> you know every now and again just when mentioned that uh, you've you've had me do the video for Mum's birthday, you put it yeah. in the family chat and whatnot. So I would dare say that I'm you know the fourth child of the family. Have you always had weird uh, connections with older women? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say I'm respectful to all. Yeah, nice, good stuff, good stuff, <laughs> mate. Um, in the research that I was doing for this, the thing that kept popping up was your was your bloody your basketball ability. How close were you actually to choosing basketball over footy? Uh, I mean, growing up, especially in the country, you know, you you play as many sports as you can: cricket, basketball, yeah. footy, everything like that. So. Growing up, basketball was and probably still is my number one sport that I enjoy watching the most anyway. Um, But I I, I mean, when you're kids, the the funding for basketball compared to to footy just isn't there. So um, for mine, we were driving down three times a week for either training or or playing. Um, But in the end, just the travel probably got too much. And, um, Mm. you know, Friday nights, you're you're away from home, you're missing mates, birthdays and and whatnot. So um, when I was... I think 16, I threw it in, which was fine because, I mean, to, to try and make it in basketball, it's quite hard. Yeah. What sort of player were you? I can imagine sort of big power forward, love to play in the post, <laughs> bit of a sky oh, hook every now and then. Oh, no, the complete opposite. I was a guard growing up. So I didn't, oh, really? shoot, up, I didn't shoot up till I was 15, 16. So um, oh. I, I still I still play now. So we played. I played a game last night. We lost to the top team in at MSAC and I played Mondays as well. So that's what keeps me fit and, and I suppose uh, keeps the competitive juices running at the moment. Awesome. And, and so you're saying you, you watch it as well. Who do, who do you like this year? Well, we're, we're taping this on the morning that uh, the Bucks are probably, you know, they're 3-1 down against the Heat. So yeah, um, good, good friends with, with Joey. So yeah. uh, I'd love, you know, the, what he's been through the last 12, 18 months with his knee and whatnot and being able to go to a cool team. I'd love to say the Bucks, but they better pull their finger out over this next two months if they're going to make it. So how did that relationship come about? Uh, so Joey, when he moved to Melbourne post uh, AIS, yeah. um, I played against him in juniors. He was South Australia Metro. I was a bit country. So played against yeah. each other as kids. And then when he moved to Melbourne and the Dragons, we just connected. Um, he was a Hawks fan. And... You know, in between, because he had a, a British passport, so that's how he got to Spain and whatnot. And from there, when he would come home in his off-season, he'd just dump his bags here. And, you know, he's, I think his licence was to my house for about three years. So all the parking <laughs> and speed, all the parking and speeding fines that kept coming here and whatnot. So, um, you know, as I said, he, he would just dump his bags here in the off-season and come and go as he pleased. That's awesome. Could you tell he always he always had it? Oh, I think I don't think anyone expected you know, to see how well he's done in the NBA, but he always had that yeah. drive and, um, you know, to go from, to take a risk and, and not go to college. You know, he went to the AS and then came straight out and played for the Dragons, mm-hmm. went to a couple of teams in Spain and then to see what he's done now. It's, you know, well, 35 years old and killing it. Yeah, that's amazing. And he was, he was, he only went over to the NBA at like 27, right? Was it 27 yeah. or 26? Yeah. Amazing story. Yeah. You know, and he's, he's got married and had his three kids over there and whatnot. So, um, he's pretty ingrained in, in the American lifestyle. So to, to come home one day um, when he's done would be great, but you know, you could probably see himself staying over there as well. So with regards to yourself, so you're obviously picked two back in 2004 uh, with, with Buddy and your great mate, Jordan Lewis. Yes. I can imagine that would have been a massive adjustment for you as like a, you know, country kid coming down to the big smoke. Do you, did you get homesick in those early days? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, Lane Gather at the time I left had one set of traffic lights. 
So <laughs> I moved. I moved from there to um, Campbell, and straight away from uh, there to Hawthorne, where we trained at Glenferry Oval. I think there was about you know ten or so traffic lights to go through. So the adjustment there straight away was was full on. Uh, I definitely got homesick. I mean, in my second year when I got my license, I ended up losing it for a speeding. So um, I went home. I was, it wasn't a bad one. I was, it was, I was homesick. So I went home for a couple of days and just got my timings mixed up. So I was yeah. two hours late for training. And as you do as an 18-year-old, you try and get there as quick as you can. So unfortunately, um, yeah, I lost my license for about 12 months. But you do, you know, as a 17-year-old kid, you leave home and you miss all your mates, 18th, 21st. Yeah. Um, you know, just the, the things that I suppose a country boy, that's what you you enjoy the most is being around your mates and, and catching up with them. So that was quite difficult. But as time went on, you do, you become, you know, you realise it's only an hour and a half away. So you're not really, mm. um, it's not like you have to jump on a plane or anything to get home. I always think like, it, surely it's a, it's a really, really tough time for like a big change like that, for a big, like to be drafted like at 17. Well, you were 17, right? You were one of yep. the, yeah. So like, what do you think of the draft age? Do you reckon it needs to be a little bit, little bit higher? I don't know. That, that, it's a, it's a good question because you, you look at some of the kids and you would say, yeah, it'd be great to, um, for them to, you know, experience a couple more years at home or you know, do uni or whatnot. But then you have the real special kids like um, Matty Rao the last few years, uh, yeah. and and even Harley Reid for this year. You know, some guys would have taken him one last year. Yeah. Does it? What what happens in this? you know, this, this draft year for him, does he become bored? Does he, you know, um, take his foot off the pedal a little bit? No, I, I don't think so. But, you know, you, you do wonder for some of those special, really special talents that, you know, could the, could you get him in early? Similar to borders, mate. Like, yeah, I don't know what it's like exactly. for school borders. Like it's, it's, and some of those, you know, kids live at year 10. Like, mm. and I know they have everything, you know, well, they don't have everything done for them, but they, they've got to, I think the, the early you can become independent, it's going to help you in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, because I was a boarder as well. And you like yeah. start boarding it. I think I was 14. And you do learn that independence really, really quickly. So yeah. Yeah. And like everyone just matures at a different, different level, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure some kids, you know, are probably ready to play at 15, whereas others are, you know, obviously take a little bit longer. Yeah. We would you okay, would you give back? Would you not board if you had the choice again, or would you board? No, hundred percent board. It was, it was, yeah. it was fantastic. No, I loved it. Yeah. You, you, you grow up quick. You learn so much independence, and you're living with your best mates for like you know four years. Yeah, I would, I would certainly love to give my kids that same experience. Yeah, cool. So you obviously got drafted with like two of your best mates. Um, yeah. How was that like for you, just being able because you, uh, you live together, right? With Initial, and it, initially before Christmas we did, and then uh, Bud's parents moved over from WA. Um, and we both lived in, uh, what were they, host families. So, uh, as I said, I was in Camwell. George was out in, in Springvale and Bud was uh, Box Hill. So, the three of us, you know, the beauty that all three of us didn't come from Melbourne. George comes from Warrnambool. I'm from Langatha. Bud's from Perth. And the mm -hmm. fact that we're able to share that experience together and help each other through it. Because, you know, as you said, you, you move to Melbourne, it's quite daunting. Yeah. Uh, the whole... Uh, Hawthorne was going through a transitional stage of, you know, being successful and then go through this period where they hadn't been. So, you know, the narrative changed a little bit with Clarko there too. So um, definitely having two other 17, 18 year olds going through this at the same time was, was, was great for us. And, you know, we'll probably, or we definitely were smart asses. And um, <laughs> I think, I think that was good for, 
for Hawthorne, but at the same time, some of these older blokes who had real impact on us were able to um, mould us and mature us into probably the people we are today, which is, so in a way, it was beneficial for, you know, both the kids and for Hawks at the time. Because, um, so Mitch and Hodgie were a little bit older, right? They were like, what, yep. three years older? Uh, yep. So could you guys tell all the way back then that you had something like really, really special with that group? Like if you could oh. sort of just stick together, could you see, you know, flags in the future? Well, I suppose the carrot was always dangled well by Clarko because he was so good at, at keeping us motivated um, for so long. But yeah, early days, I think it was about setting the foundations and making sure that we all bought into, you know, the culture that was that was starting to be created. So, you know, we within two weeks of being drafted, I'd been given a passport and we'd walk Dakota with the group. Um, awesome. You know, these these things that, you know, you don't expect um, to do ever really, but they, mm. they help you bond as a footy club. They help you um, get to know the boys very, very quickly and make you feel um, like you're a part of it straight away. So for us, those first couple of years, especially like they, we were giving, or some of us were given games that we probably didn't deserve at times. Mm. Um, but, in the long run, that was going to help us get to where we wanted to get to. So, you know, within the, the third year of my career, um, we're playing, you know, finals, which is that big game that Bud kicks seven against the Crows. Yeah. Um, and that, that, you know, that made us start to believe that, hey, we're a chance here. So, you know, when you roll into 2008, and um, not only Mitch and Hodge, you have, um, you know, Chance Bateman, and, and then we get Dewey and Cyril comes along and all these other boys. It's just like, well, you know, if we can all stay together then the words are oyster really we could potentially win yeah. more and it, it, it took us some hard times too you know we lost we win we don't even make finals we lose an elimination final we lose a prelim we lose a granny and then that's when we uh we go on the run after that so it wasn't as if it was um all smooth sailing straight away mm. but um you know when it when it's all said and done it looks pretty good on the resume as you said before and and there was a moment wasn't there where um Clarko basically said, got all you guys together and said, look, if we want to have team success, then you might need to make some sacrifices. But the importance is that we all sort of stay together. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that, that's, you know, but this is, oh, what's that nearly 15 years ago now when you get in a room and you've got 21, 22 year olds and it's like, hey, if you take less to all stay together, you're going to get it back in the long run. And, you know, at the time, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, 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 that's good. But mm. I think I think all of us did, you know, we probably could have got more on open markets or if we wanted to yeah. really haggle. But, you know, you look at – he was right because you look at now and you've got Hodge Mitchell as a coach, but Hodge, Louis, Burgoyne in the media. Um, mm. Boys are doing really, really well and you kind of sought after because you do have the premiership medals next to your name. So yeah, for sure. um, that, that, you know, that's one of the, the, the better um, – Better bits of wisdom that Clarko told us over the years, for sure. Mm. I, bet, I mean, that culture is, I'm sure, is you know hard to come by. And like, this is something that I've always wanted to to ask you because I'm so interested in like the importance of a strong culture, not just in in footy, but in all sort of workplaces in general. Do you yeah. think how important how important do you think is results to that? Like, how important is it for results to drive culture? Because you guys were obviously like incredibly good. Um, result, results is in wins and losses or results is in... Yeah, I mean, just getting the wins on the board. Well, yeah. once we won in 2008, you think it's just going to happen. You're 21 years old, you're, mm. you're a young group, you think, right, we can just roll this out every year and, and hopefully you know, win multiple flags. 
we then experience, like I mentioned, we don't play finals. Mm. Then we go out. We have three years in a row where it's pretty, pretty, you know, really, really hard where you lose mm. a prelim and lose a granny. And, you know, we, we as a leadership group were pointing the finger at others before pointing it at each other. So the beauty of our, once we kind of got challenged in a way that was like, yeah, boys, we've heard all this before. Um, when are you going to start pointing the finger at each other and start taking, you know, a bit of onus on yourself? And that was, you know, at the end of 2012 where the leadership group who was, you know, the boys you mentioned, Mitch Hodge, myself, mm. Louis, Gibbo, and and Bud and Sully, these other guys, it's like once we put our hands up and start challenging each other, that gives us the right to then um, feed it down to the younger boys and expect. Yeah. So if you were to play against us, and there'd be times where you'd think we'd hate each other because of the way that we were talking, but <laughs> you have a two you have a two hour window where performance matters. So yeah. you know, if it's you can deal with that other crap or bite back during the week if you need to, but for right there and then, if that's what needs to be done or someone yells at you, we just get on with it. So um and then I suppose, you know, because we'd played near enough to 200 games as together as a collective, you kind of knew what each other was going to do at any given yeah. time. So as well as having Clark Owen coaches in the box, you also had mm. five assistant coaches on the field knowing what to do at any given time. So um, I don't know. that I look at culture, but I look at the, the, you know, playing that many games together, I think that helps you in the long run too because yeah. you, can bring, you can bring everyone together and that's great, but until you actually play a lot of footy together and understand what everyone's going to do, yeah. um, but also, also a- just like growing up together, right? Like what you were talking about yeah. before, like you, you yeah. literally knew each other since you were seventeen. So yeah. I'm yeah. sure that probably played a massive part as well. Yeah, well, out of all those boys, like I've been to all their weddings. So in saying <laughs> that, you know, Jordan and I were best man at each other's wedding. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. Like you do, you grow up. You're not only just teammates, but you're friends and. You know, we're lucky. We're lucky that uh, premierships means reunions every ten years. Um, That's but, awesome. But you know, you, you want to catch up as much as you can, and and a lot. You know, you look at us now. There's a lot of the boys that are interstate or yeah, um, are not here. So um, the catch ups mean more when you do see each other. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it, it certainly sounds like a very very fun fun friendship group as well. I was listening to your uh, your podcast with Xavier Ellis, your premiership teammate. Oh yeah, yeah. It yeah. was an absolute pisser. I I highly recommend <laughs> anyone that's listening to this to go and listen to that podcast. Um, it's fair to say you blokes enjoyed yourselves off the field. What was the story? The story about the bobcat or something? Oh, that was in two thousand eight. That was that. So that was. Um, you had the week off. We had a week off in between winning the qualifying final and then the prelim. So you try and keep yourself busy as much as you can. So I was doing some um, landscape work at home and we managed to have a bobcat. And <laughs> I don't know. Before we knew it, there's like 10 blokes around there having a few beers and whatnot. And boys are trying to sit in the bobcat arcing it up at about 10 o'clock at night. So, um, yeah, well, look, we, but we were kids too. Yeah. So, you know, this is the thing. We're, as much as AFL football players, as soon as you get drafted, you're expected to be a role model. Yeah. You can't take the fun out of, no. you know, seven, as I said, 2008, we're t- I'm 21. So Zave's 20 yeah. and Cyril and these boys are 18, 19. So we still yeah. have to be kids at times too. And Yeah. Well, that's, this that's is- what I was sort of going to ask you because you were obviously like a carefree bunch of kids. And, you know, when you're growing up, like you make mistakes, right? Like I've made mistakes, you've made mistakes. Yep. Do you feel sorry for the guys now, like in the age of social media where 
it's almost like there's nowhere to hide, right? And like yep. there are more opinions and it's always done behind like a keyboard and stuff. Like, yeah, like do you feel sorry for like a, you know, like a Jack Ginevan, Bailey Smith? Yeah. I, the hard thing for me, it, you go back to asking about the draft ages, we, we kind of make these kids too professional too yeah. early. I feel anyway, like you look at, you look at the States and college is obviously the big thing where they learn to, you know, they're at high school and whatnot, they've got their, uh, their programs, but college is where you, you really start to learn about the game and culture and, and program and professionalism and stuff like that. Whereas here, under 15s, under 16s, we're making kids do weights programs, running programs, dietary requirements. They're doing interviews with footy clubs or media at that age. So by the time they actually get to their, draft year or the time, you know, when they finished exams and whatnot, they're almost like robots. So you don't actually yeah. see the personalities in kids and you don't see the, who they are as a person because we as a, as a, as a game and whatnot, make them too professional too early. So, mm. and I don't know the answer because now with my role in, in recruiting and list management, it's like, well, you, you want to see these kids, you know, develop and mature over the years, but at the same time, you've still got to let them live. I feel. Mm, yeah. So sure. I, 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 it's getting that balance right because, as you said, do you lift the draft age? Well, then you stunt their growth for another year. But at the same time, we're doing all these programs for these kids and it makes it quite hard because you don't actually get to see who they are as a person. You just get to see them as a robot slash footy player. Mm. And look, I'm sure that, like, I'm sure that would have helped you guys so much in, you know, the latter half of your careers is that you were able to just grow up as kids and just, you know, sort of mature like, like everyone else. Whereas, yeah, yeah, I just feel sorry for the kids now. Like they've, they've got to, they've got to grow up quick and they've got to be, yeah. like you said, professional at a very, very young age. And people are out there too, trying to catch you out as best as they can as well. So exactly. that's, uh, you know, phones and um, people yeah. making a name for itself or trying to make a quick buck. Mm. Uh, that's not good as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, because like I've been lucky enough to get uh, get to know you over the past few years, and you know the place that I was working at before, like I'd see a lot of sort of footballers come through, and I would always say that the old Hawthorne boys were always my favourite, because like seeing guys like yourself and Louis operate, like you just you're normal blokes that just happen to be like really really good at footy. You enjoy <laughs> beer as much as the next bloke. Yeah, you know, but seriously, like you treat everyone the same. Confidence, not arrogance. Um, I don't know, like, was that, was that something that you had to learn along the way? Was that a lesson that you had to learn along the way, like the importance of staying level-headed um, and, you know, sort of not getting carried away? Yeah, yeah. And you, you still never get it right because there's times where, you know, someone will get you at the wrong time or, um, you know, you might be, uh, I wouldn't say rude i suppose you could call it rude but you know at times to even little kids and stuff like this you just have to you yeah. have to learn to be on all the time so yeah and there was times where you were you're not great and you're frustrated or you form yeah. or you know um so yeah you're not going to get it right but you definitely learn along the way that yeah at the end of the day and it, it just puts it into perspective mate everything that we've been through it's just like well yeah. footy footy's been great to us but it's not how you identify yourself you know mm. what i mean like if yeah, you live exactly. to, if I if I live to be a hundred, forty is going to be fifteen percent of my life. Yeah. Yeah. No. You, yeah. You you want to be Jared Roughhead first, not you know the footballer Jared Roughhead. Yeah, and that that that's just, I think that's just because of the the industry we're in and AFL footy today. Um, mm. You know, especially in Victoria, you have ten teams here, so 
no matter yeah. what you in most most suburbs you go to you're going to see a footy player or anywhere you go on the weekend um it's all about footy as you said before you've got a premiership reunion was it every five years or ten years five, uh, if you work it out it's five because you go eight and 13 so how good is that um, so we've had one catch up we had the geelong at uh, the geelong hawks easter monday we had a uh, a box there that uh, i think about 15 of us caught up or not actually of the team because Funnily enough, still 10 years on, there's five five blokes involved um, that were actually involved in the Hawks-Cats game on Easter Monday. And then there's some other boys, you know, you have Hodgie commentating, um, yeah. a couple others are still interstate and whatnot. So yeah. we're going to have to probably wait to the 21 until we're actually all done. So you've got the, the 2013 Premiership reunion this year? This year, yeah. So who who's the dangerous one at these things? Who do you think will be best on? In fact, give me, give me a 3 two, one well, this is, uh, yeah, so it, there's a couple of catch-ups along the way. So there's boys that can, you know, up and down. Uh, you'd, you'd normally say, so out of the 13 team, you'd say Guerra, Birchall, those two would be leading it. Simkin, who's another one. Yep. Those three. Those three would, you know, they're, they're the most excited. If you can get Stratton back from Perth, he'll be pretty good. Yep. Uh, Hodge, you never know what kind of mood he's in. <laughs> Brian Lake could be one that you know comes from the yep. clouds every now and again. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's five that you could put, you know, a blanket over that you could quite comfortably say that if you're around them for most of the day, you would have a great day. Awesome. Surely you can pinch a vote in there, mate. Well, this is the, the as you you plan. So depending on what's when work is, <laughs> what yeah. you've got to do with your kids where you are at what stage of the year, all this kind of thing. Don't exactly. get me wrong. There'll be a chance where it's just like you work it out and say to Sarah and the kids, oh, I reckon you should go home this weekend or go see the grandparents <laughs> and whatnot. Just try and buy yourself 36, 48 hours just in case. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, look, so great that I suppose you had that level of success with, you know, your, your best mates. Do you ever like reflect on the success that you've had with like a real sense of gratitude? Because there's a lot of players that, and a lot of good players that don't sort of have that level of success. Like I think of someone like a, you know, like Michael Hurley, really, really good player, never played in a winning yeah. final. Yeah. 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 But, and I think too, well, we've experienced both the lows and the highs of all that kind of stuff. So, you know, your whole career wasn't just linear where it's just like, right, we started at the bottom, we worked away and we're at the top for 15 years. You know, yeah, you, you you went through, you learned a lot along the way. So, you know, winning five, I think it was four games in our first year. Then you experience finals. Then you win one. Then you go through hardship. Then you go on this amazing run, 13, 14, 15. And then 15 is the last game I ever played with Louis and Mitch. Um, yeah. Hilly. So my memories of that. And then you also, like I played, you play another four years after that. I don't win another final. Mm. Um so, yeah, you definitely have uh, perspective and gratitude that, yeah, look, it's not, it's not always perfect. And, yeah, it looks good right now that when you're done, it's like, yeah, you've got four medals next to your name. But yeah. you do go through these stages of a career that it's just like, well... And in the end, too, mate, I got dropped. So um, yeah. my, last, yeah, my last year I'm playing, you know, VFL and um, having to deal with all that kind of thing and get used to that, yeah, well, your career is coming to an end. So... When you talk, when you think of it like that, like you, and you look at the the bombers boys that haven't won what is it a final since 01, it's like yeah, yeah. It, it it can be a cruel game to some. 
Yeah, it's actually a really good point you make. Like, you know, because we look at it from the outside and we think, you know, Jared Roughhead, full-time premiership player. But, you know, like you're a high draft pick. So, you know, there was obviously you came in at a time where it wasn't going so well. So, yeah, you know, you, you do sort of forget that probably for yourself, there was a lot of up and ups and downs. Yeah, and at the time you come in and it's just like, well, you're just you're just a sponge. You're taking it all in because this is what you think AFL footy is going to be like, or yeah, you just you, you know you, you're not to know you know the success of Hawthorne back in the '80s, um, the '90s they won the what the one flag, and then all of a sudden we go from Glenferry Oval out to Waverley, um, the changes there. Uh, so yeah, for 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 those early first, you know, especially five or six years, it's just like we, you know, you've basically you've done everything in a way. Yeah. Um, what what was going to be that driving factor, or what we're going to do to make sure that you you know the next ten, I suppose, we're going to be better. So, mate, I'm really keen to ask you about um, your rivalry with Geelong. In my opinion, easily the best rivalry in Australian sport. Um, you know, you look back at the history and like the uh, what was it, the 2008 Grand Final, which was a bit yeah. of an upset. Let's be honest, they, they were probably the better side right at the time. Oh yeah, they'd lost yeah. one game for the year, <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously they had the um, they had the wood on you for for a while. Obviously, there was the Hawkins goal after the siren in two thousand twelve. Yep. Then you finally broke the curse. I think it was at the prelim uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, yep. um, and I just remember watching those games like at school in the boarding house and seeing like you know the two champions like Selwood and Hodgie just beating the shit out of each other, and we were just like, yep. how how good is this? What was it like playing those games? Uh, I say now when you do chats like this or you do sportsman's nights and stuff like that, that that is by far the most enjoyable. Like playing those good teams, playing Geelong, playing Sydney, um, West Coast when they were going, and even Richmond towards the end, even though we weren't good. But playing the best sides is what, yeah, you want to be as a footballer. So, you know, you can... Everyone says, oh, do you hate Essendon because you're a Hawthorne player? Well, not really, because we didn't live that no. hatred that back in yeah. the 80s. So, you know, Geelong are effectively... Yeah, you, you would have bloody filled your boots against Essendon. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah. Yeah, at time, yeah, well. <laughs> My first game was against Essendon. There you go. Oh, there you um, go. Nice. But, yeah, like I, I, I look now, back now when you reflect and you say, right, at, 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 say that, that Hawkins game, where Hawk kicks goal or, or the prelim game, I reckon you could easily say there's going to be 12 AFL Hall of Famers, 14 if you include the coaches, in one game. So, yeah. and, you know, you can you can put, you could, you know, Mitch Hodge, Cyril, Bud, uh, Clarko, and then you've got Scott, Hawkins, Selwood, Enright, Scarlett, Johnson, Chapman. You know, so that, that's just off the top of your head. So yeah. to say, if you got a game now and said, right, there's going to be 14 Hall of Famers, AFL Hall of Famers, not just their club or whatnot. Yeah. It's going to be like, it's going to be hard in today's game. When you look at it like that, and as you said, you you know, they're the games, like we're talking games 2012 and 13, that's 11, 10, 11 years ago. Mm. So, and we still, as footy fans, it's like, yeah, I remember those rivalries and, you know, the, the crowds are at Easter Monday, the crowds in the finals. Um, the 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 oh eight the just how it all started just us beating them in that grand final where we were you know we were massive underdogs in that game and whatnot it's just like yeah mm. oh, you're so lucky because um and, and I, 
don't get me wrong, I played like crap in half those games because Harry Taylor was very, very good. Um, <laughs> you're out, you're out there. So, um, yeah, you look back and it's like, well, you didn't hate them, you respect them a lot, and they made you better. So that's yeah. the beauty of it. Yeah, for sure. No, I, and like, I just look at it now, and I, I suppose the competition is a little bit more even now. But I don't think there's a rivalry. There hasn't certainly hasn't been a rivalry since. Um, but weird question for you. So if you're going to go from that sort of like 2008 to 2015, so their best 22 in that era versus your best 22, who wins? Oh, you're biased. You're going to say yourself. But yeah, yeah. I reckon, have you written down the teams? Have you had a look at that? We'll come back to me. Come back to me and see what the best 22 of either be, both side in that. It would be bloody close, I would say. I mean, you're. Yeah, well, you can, I think you can have Ablett. You forget Ablett. Yeah, but they've yeah. got. Yeah, but you've got Hawk, Mooney, Johnson, Chapman, Varco. You've got their yeah, defense John, is the best. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you. But if you're thinking like in that period though, so your your best twenty two for like just your forward line, you, you look you're Gunston, uh, yourself, Bud, yeah. Cyril, like that's. I mean, yeah, but me. then you've got Scarlett, Enright, Taylor, Mackie. Yeah. Yeah, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, as much that as you think you get a chance. Like, and that's why you look back on it now. It's like, yeah, we were so lucky because you're yeah. actually playing against a Hall of Fame defence. Yeah. And then you throw in midfield as well. So, uh, we just won't get that again, will we? Hypotheticals, yeah. Nah, I don't think you will. Not with the, the way that the, the AFL want player movement and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, because that, that forward line that I talked about, I, I think 2008, when Bud obviously kicked 100 goals, you kicked 80 or so, didn't you? Bet, uh, just under, 75. And you guys were 21. Correct. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Not to mention, I, Cyril would have kicked, kicked over uh, a goal game as well. Uh, yeah, Mark Williams kicked 50, I think, that year. That's unbelievable. That, and you think about, so Bud has... I think between him and I, mate, we had nearly 350 shots on goal. <laughs> so he kicks 100 and, 113.80 and I was about 70.50. So there you go. Jesus. That's about, yeah. For two, so, and that was when the game started to change and open up a bit more. And that was when still um, teams were a bit more one-on-one defence compared to the whole um, team defence. Yeah. So at the end of 2008 is when it went to team defence. And that's where I think you don't see as many one-on-one contests because blokes are hedging their bets and making sure that they can help on one-on-one contests as well. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon that is something that you definitely won't see. Well, let me ask you, like, do you think Cameron will kick 100 goals this year? I'd, I'd love him to. I yeah. reckon it'd be awesome for the game. Um, Bloody oath. I went to round one last year thinking that Bud was going to get the 1,000 against GWS and I was going to run on. And then I didn't yeah. go to Sydney the week later. And yeah. seeing, those, seeing those photos and... Oh. You know, I was there, 2008 was big because Fev was going to try and kick 100 that game too. But seeing that, you know, the, the vision and everyone running on the field at the SCG last year, to have that again, like, it, no, it doesn't happen anywhere else. Yeah. No, amazing. Um, so you're obviously made captain um, of the club in 2017. But before we talk about that, um, mate, do you mind if we talk about your health scares? No worries. So you obviously had the the two melanomas. The second one was obviously a little bit more serious. Um, and look, you've gone into depth 
your journey with this in other podcasts. So we don't need to go too deep into it. But yeah. um, where was your head at? Like in terms of that recovery period, because you said in your book, like you sort of treated it like a footy injury, which to have yeah. that mindset is, is amazing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's, yeah, amazing is interesting. I, unfortunately, I guess for me, well, it's, it's all I knew. So, mm. you know, from 17 to 29, all I knew was footy and, and footy injuries and recovery and, and this type of thing. So when you're giving it, given a timeline of you're going to be out for six months, you're going to be out for, you know, uh, nine months with an Achilles or you're going to be a couple of weeks here or there with a hammy. Uh, when the docs initially said 18 months, it's like, all right, 18 months, you, you would, you know, I did the maths. It's like, all right, I've got, I think I had three years left on the contract. Um, I've, that means I've still got a year to go. And you do, you, you, see, you look at, you know, I was on like 230 games. It's like, if I get to 250, that would be pretty cool. Mm. Um, so as soon, and as soon as you, you hear 18 months, it's like, right, I can just put it, I know the, the timeline I've got, let's just work towards that. So um, you don't have to keep asking, can I get back sooner or anything like that? It's just like, right, what'll be, what'll be. And if you do the rehab or do whatever um, to that timeline, I guess you can hope that, you know, everything else, uh, works itself out. So for, I guess the beauty for my mate there was that I was able to have the mindset of right because I'd been in footy clubs and been at um, done rehab processes. I guess that that's what helped me in the long run. Mm. And how important were your you know friends and family in that time? Because I so I, I've never told you this, but um, one of my best mates had cancer in year eleven, um, and you know we all just sort of galvanized around him. Um, yeah. and you know, like speaking to him now, like that's, that's what really, you know, sort of got him through everything. So, um, were you like, were you married to Sarah at the time? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we we were six months married and in a way, uh, I was a little bit more protective of her. So I didn't let her come to any, uh, any treatments, any, yeah. any, um, I let her come to, uh, after my initial second diagnosis, I let her come and ask a lot of questions to the doctor and nurse. But after that, and it wasn't, it wasn't, um, uh, I didn't plan it for it to go that way, but I was just like, yeah. well, and I never thought of it like this, but maybe you know, I did and just didn't um, think of it consciously. But I, I didn't want, if shit was to go south, I didn't want to her to remember you, what you look like if shit went, shit went yeah. bad. So I, yeah, I, and yeah, I never... I never thought of it like that. And I never like looked at Google. Um, I never, you know, you look, cause if you look at these things and you go searching for it, you're going to find yeah. bad news. Yeah, um, so, but the boys were, yeah, the footy club and, and mates were, were super. Like I had two of my best mates lived in Perth. They came back for a weekend just to check in. I had Jordan and, and Joe came to a treatment. My brother came to a treatment. Um, so and the beauty of those guys, they they can help you feed messages to other friends and stuff like that. Because you're gonna, yeah, as course. you know, you get you're always gonna have the people that ask the question and, and how's he going or how are you feeling and all this kind of stuff. But being able to have yeah. them that can help filter it out too was great because then you could just focus on yourself, which is you know what you need to do. But at the same time, quite hard with the sport we're in as well. Hmm. But mate, then you came back, and I was actually at, at your first game back in 2017, and I think you're. I think that's the thing, like when it's all said and done now, like that's the thing with you that's like so underrated is that not only did you come back, but you came back and played what, four more years of really, really good footy and, and obviously captain the club as well. Where, like, 
Yeah. Is that one of the things that you look back on with the most pride out of your playing career? Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I look back and at the time, um, you probably did, because it happened so quick, like at the end of the start of 16, all the way through to, you know, basically the start of 17, a lot changed. We had a lot of bikes get traded. Um, Hodgie finished up. Yeah, I was made captain. And, and looking back, did it all just happen too quick and probably should that have been the process? I, I don't, you know, if I had my time again, would I be captain? I don't know. Because mm. um, you, you do, you change a little bit as well. And I probably changed a little bit for the worse in that regard because you still had these high expectations that one, you were going to be a good player and two, we were going to be a good team. And we'll probably in a bit of a transition phase there as well. So, um, you know, looking back now, yeah, it's it's great that I got back and played. Would I do things different? Yeah, I would. Um, and then in the end, you know, my last year, um, you know, you play eight games and you get dropped back to Box Hill and, you yeah. you know, you feel like you're, you're not your legacy. Yeah, I suppose it is. Your legacy is a bit... Yeah. Um, tainted, but in a way, it's not too. So, yeah, look, I, I, don't get me wrong, mate. I am happy that I got back and played and I'm very um, honoured that I got to captain the footy club. But would I do things different? Yeah, I definitely would. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, because I was 30. So then you start to talk to some of these boys that I hadn't even played with in a way that I would have spoken to Louis and Mitch. And, yeah. you know, so then, then in a way, and then you see me how I am now is that you're probably not, I was probably too serious and thought I had to be someone like a Hodgie like and Mitch. Hodgie. And, yeah. and at that time, the the boys, especially the young boys, they didn't need they they didn't need that type of captain or person. They needed more of a a big brother type that helped yeah. them learn and understand the way and build it again. Whereas we wanted it to happen then and there. So, mm. um, and that's that's that would be me better as a captain as well, being that big brother type rather than being one that stands up and just yells at you. Yeah, for sure. How many of those lessons, I suppose, did you then take into your life out of footy with um, your sort of development role at St Kilda and even now yeah. with, um, with list management? Because I'm sure yeah. that you still now work with young guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and, you know, the last few years working with Max was, um, was Max King. great. Max King. Yeah. So that, Maxie King, Tim Memory, the key forwards at St Kilda and, and just the, the boys in general. You got to, you have to remember they, everything that we did at Hawthorne isn't going to work at St Kilda. So all you can do is just guide them in a way and help them try and see it for themselves to be able to create something for their own. So, yeah, look, I can try and teach Max some some things that I did, but he's a much better contested mark and a better jump than what I ever was. So um, it's like, it was like the people that would tell me, um, you know, um, when I was sick, it's like, oh, go have this green smoothie or do this or, or have these mm. marijuana oil and stuff like that. So, well, they're not professionals. It's like, no. trust the people that, you know, um, that, are, that are the professionals. So, um, yeah, and you think now, mate, every year I'm getting older, the kids that still come in and get drafted are 18. So, mm. you know, next Crazy. year I'm 37, they're going to be 18. Then you're 38 and they're 18. So the, the <laughs> older you get, the more that this generational gap get, gets wider and wider too. So making sure that, yeah, you understand what the kids are like these days compared to what it was like when we came through is completely different. Do you find it hard to relate to them? Uh, at times you do. But, mm. you know, if, if you can find some common ground and not just... Um, always worry about footy and, and your experiences versus theirs. If you can find some, um, 
yeah, some different things that they're into that you might find similar and stuff like that. It's it's mm. it's all about building that connection and understanding what the kids are like to then hopefully create an environment to allow them to flourish. Well, you'd be very good at that because you're like you're an incredibly infectious personality, which sort of brings me to my to my next question is um, is coaching something that you've thought about? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I look at like the you know, the senior coaches and you see them just like blowing up in the box. And I, I wonder like what the, what the appeal is. And you see some guys like, you know, you mate Louie, like he's just stayed clear of it. Like, you know, a lot of people are just choosing media or just choosing something else um, different. What is like the big appeal with, with coaching? It's the closest thing to playing you're ever going to get. Okay. So you're so, sort of staying on the inside. Correct. So mm. it it's, but it gets those competitive juices going. And for some of these guys, that, like I look at Sam Mitchell and I think he'll be a great coach. I back him, back him in so far. Um, he, he was always, I felt, going to be a coach. Now he's done his MBA. He's done all these uni courses. He's done all these amazing things that would have keep him, would, would, you know, would do so well in the business world. But just his mind on how he thinks the game and, what he thinks that the, the different changes and whatnot will be and his innovation for bringing new stuff in and whatnot. It's just like, he was always going to be a coach in my eyes. Mm. I don't think, I, I, one, you look at it and it's like, well, it's, uh, compare it to a list manager, no no, no, no footy coach these days really gets four or five goes at it. Some no. list managers, some list managers are on their third or fourth team now. Um, and because it's quite a, a full-on job in terms of the travel the travel, and you're watching a lot of kids with footy and you're watching a lot of footy, whether that be live or vision. Um, and really, when you think about it, it's only you've only got to get it right one day a year. Or we keep getting told that because it's just if you nail the draft, you get it right. So, yeah, for um, sure. um, so for, for mine, I mean, no, I don't, I don't have any aspirations to be a coach, but you, your mind does think about the game a lot and how it, um, how it's changed and how it's evolved and what would you do or what do you think will come next? So I guess you're always thinking about it, but in terms of um, in the trenches and wanting to win every week, mm. um, yeah, it's probably not as there as what it used to be. So like you said, you're, you're in the list department. Uh, so you're sort of still on the inside. How do you find the state of the game now? Like, how, do you think it's the game is in a better shape than what it was, let's say, like 15 years ago? Yeah. Uh, Oh, I think as a as a brand and what we're seeing, how it's come out of the back end of COVID and whatnot, you'd say it's probably never been in a better position. Um, but in terms of the footy, yeah, look, it's it's it is a lot different. You look at the the rules that are brought in and obviously the protection of the head and that whatnot at the moment and all the I suppose the key talking points of this year so far. Uh, it it it's always going to change and we're going to try and look after players and whatnot. But at the same time you still love the free flowing goals and mm. beautiful skills and high marks and whatnot. So that, and they're all there, like you're seeing, mm. you're seeing that, but yeah, the, the, I suppose the last few years when you're seeing the, some low scores and under a roof or whatnot, you start to question what, what are the coaches trying to do? And, and that's the, mm. you know, that's the idea of coaching too, is you're trying to um, expose the game as much as you're trying to innovate as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. No, it's kind of like what we we're talking about before, like those, those scores, like your your forward line getting uh, back in two thousand eight, yeah. like Bud kicking a hundred goals, you kicking eighty, Cyril what forty or whatever, like that's mm. yeah. I mean that is the part that because I, I look, I it was on Fox Footy the other day. I was I was watching the two thousand eight 
grand final and it was just it's just different like it's just i don't know yeah. what it, i don't i'm not saying it's better or worse but it's just very different to what it is today that i reckon too at the end of 2008 that was when behind the goals vision came in mm. so you'd marry it up with the actual vision of what was happening the, the broadcast vision so when you married it up you can go between the two different um screens i guess and work out where anyone was going to be at any given time so that then when you look mm. at it like that well, that's why it looks like soccer when you defend yeah. when you defend up and down and you defend as a whole versus just one on one where you can get caught out. I think that's when the game started to change a fair bit because then you can get any game behind the vision and start to study that. Yeah, and pick it pick it apart really. Matt, I'm sure you don't want to talk about work too much, but you know I, I'm weird. I find for whatever reason the post footy season, like the you know the business side of. Um, you know, drafts and, and trade week, so incredibly exciting for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you reckon we can inject some of that insight, excitement into like the, you know, the regular season? Like, do you reckon we should put in like a, like a mid-season trade period or something like that? Like what they do in the NBA? Uh, I definitely think it, it's going to probably come. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing for our game and it'll be trading players without their consent because the NBA and yeah. the NFL and all these baseball and whatnot, like we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Mm. You think here, yeah, like if you're, if you're trading someone that's on 250 grand, they've got to pack up their whole house, their family, move to another state. Mm. Um, it's not as easy as, it's not as, yeah, well, it's not easy, but it's also not as, um, you know, in the NBA, you can just say, well, gosh, you've got millions in it. I know you've got to take kids out of school and whatnot, but you're going to be fine. This is quite harder for Australians and the sport that we have. But a mid-season trade period would be good. Um, and I think, you know, the beauty of, of that, and I think they've got to be able to say um, eight years can be free agency versus just eight years at one club. Because if you mm. can do that, then the eight years, then you could potentially, the mid-season trade, you can go and get someone on the bottom. You can go and try and get their second or third or fourth best player to try and nail a premiership that year, similar mm. to what, you know, uh, and it, this is a, a way lesser version, but you look at what the Suns have done this year with yeah. Kevin Durant and being able to get him. Now, he's a top, you know, five player in the league, but being able to go and get someone and inject them and hopefully go on a run to, to win a flag or a championship or whatever, that's what I think will come in the next few years. Did you see the... I think the footage of, um, I think it was Josh Hart. He was like warming up for yeah. a, a game for Portland and he finds out, like one of his mates tells him, like they're looking at a phone that he's, he's found out in the warm-up that he's been traded to the Knicks. Yeah, mate, there was Mike Conley who was at Utah. He was in the back warming up and he got traded to Minnesota who they were playing that night. So it was the other end. So they're warming up. He's like, well, do I go say to my new teammates or, or what do I do? So he, he just... <laughs> He sat in the medical room and apparently just drove home. And then he's like, right, I've got to pack up my stuff because I've got to go to Minnesota the next day. God, it's crazy. Just a different beast, isn't it? You have, I think you have, as soon as you get traded, you have 72 hours to report. Mm. Mm. Or something ridiculous. So you've basically got to go home, work out with your wife and kids if you've got them all, then pack up some clothes to, because you don't know when you're going to come back either. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, but um, we're friends with uh, Jock Landau. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so my girlfriend's good friends with India, his his fiance, and yeah. essentially like that's that's what that's what she does. She because he's off traveling, so she's got to like pack up the house if he gets traded. She's yeah. she's got to take care of like packing up the house and and uh, moving them to their to their new location, which is just 
yeah, it's, it's I reckon it's a horrible thing. I agree, but the he's been very lucky. He's been in two great cities in San Antonio and Phoenix. So yeah, it's not like he's had to go from, um, and both West West Coast teams too. So he hasn't had to go east yet. He hasn't had to live in the snow or the cold. So yeah, and he hasn't sort of done the mid season. So that like that hasn't happened because it's the moves have been made um, yeah. in the off season. So well, he got fl- he got flicked twice last year, didn't he? Because he went to Atlanta initially and then got moved on again to Phoenix. Yeah, he was a he was a, he was a hawk for like four hours or something. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably look at houses and then it's like, all right, quick, on to the next one. Yeah, um, you've been very very good with your time. Do you mind if we finish uh, on some quick fire questions? I usually like to finish on. A quick I, I've I've seen that I've seen the Moosey one and I listened to the Masters one with your brother and and his mate. So I'm yeah ready to go. Nice, awesome, mate. Who wins the NBA finals? I want to say I want to say Milwaukee, but if not them, it'll be a West team. So either Denver or Phoenix. Okay. What is your best golf club in the bag? Putter. Yeah, I was about to say I've seen you hole a few <laughs> long putts. Yeah, putter because the others are shit. <laughs> uh, no, you, you you read the greens well. If that's the only thing I do well in golf, I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, I mean, you use your putter every hole, whereas you don't use the big you don't use the big dog every hole. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, my golf is shit, but anyway, <laughs> please go um, on. Well, it's tough to tough to play with a young family, though. Yeah, I use that, but I've been using that excuse. So I never <laughs> played golf. I never played golf as a kid until I turned thirty because I always dad was always he ingrained in me. Oh, it just ruins a good walk golf, and some I get it because sometimes yeah. when you play like crap, it does. Yeah. But then starting at 30 and, and getting the itch and then having kids, it's just been quite a stuff up. Yeah. But I'll say, I'll, I'll keep trying. Best player you've ever played with? Uh, Lance Franklin. Yeah. Thought you'd say that. Best player you've ever played against? Um, oh, best player I've ever played against? I never... Oh, I, <laughs> I never say, I just say Geelong. Like I never, ever, I, I never, like, because there's too many different variables. Like, you know, you could say, because yeah, back in the day, you played against Buckley, Cooter, Heard, yeah. and then today, you know, you've got like Selwood, Hawkins, Judd. Mm. So, yeah, I say Geelong. Yep. <laughs> Bit of a cop out, but that's all right, mate. <laughs> I justified my reasoning. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Rafi, thanks so much for having a chat with me, mate. You're a bloody good man and uh, can't wait to see what's in store for the future. No, well done with the podcast, Will, and um, look forward to listening to many, many more episodes. Thanks, Rafi. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to Content Therapy for the final episode of Season 1. Can't thank you guys enough for listening in each week. Uh, We're going to take a bit of a break after this one. I'm going to rest up the old vocal cords, going to get on the lozenges, um, and we're going to come back bigger and better than ever for Season 2. We've got some great guests in the pipeline, so very much looking forward to that. For now, though, um, I'm going to be doing a solo pod to finish up. Uh, I'm going to be like Tom Hanks in Castaway. It's just going to be me on an, on my little island um, with a microphone. So uh, looking forward to that. I'm going to be giving my thoughts on the current NBA playoffs 
And also in the latter half of this episode, I'm going to be doing a quick snapshot of all 18 AFL clubs. Um, I'm going to be grading them and spoiler alert, I'm very harsh on Carlton. So big surprise there. Uh, But please enjoy this final episode of season one of Content Therapy.